0: Have you ever been lost in the woods and actually needed a compass to find your way out and to find true north and to get you from one landmark to the next? You know, I never have. I've never been camping like that. I I didn't get to be a part of scouts or anything like that. And so using a compass is not something that I'm especially familiar with, but there's a lot of Absolutely awesomeness to the capacity of having something in your tool bag when you're out there in the middle of the woods that no matter where you go, that in some level you can at least find your way in one single direction to get where you need to be going. As long as you have some idea as to what it is you're trying to head towards, if you have a compass, it can guide you there. Now, I don't know a lot about compasses or or how they work or what they do, but I can tell you this: if I was out lost in the woods. And I had a compass, I would trust its sense of direction more than I trust my own sense of direction, right? To lean upon it and to use it to accomplish it, what it was created for. Well, the good news when we come to church is that we know we have another compass, right? We have the gift of God's word that so clearly reveals the character of God and allows it to operate as a compass to guide our lives. And it's so good to have that because you know there are times where maybe we get lost, not necessarily in the woods, but it's a scary thing. If you've ever been in that place where you've gotten lost or gotten separated, have you ever been hiking and gotten off the trail, or maybe it wasn't in a hiking type situation where you found yourself lost. Maybe the place where you found yourself lost is when you were a kid at the mall, right? And you, you just walked 10 steps away from mom and dad, but you couldn't see them. They weren't in your direct line of sight, and you're like, I'm lost, right? Um, and, and there's that fear that settles in, or maybe as a parent you've had that moment when you don't know where your kid is for just a second. And, and it, all of a sudden there begins to become those feelings of fear, those feelings of overwhelmment when you begin to settle in of I'm lost or they're lost and I want to be reconnected. I want to be reunited. I need to get back on purpose, headed the direction that I'm going. Well, in the same way that maybe we've experienced that fear of being lost or whatever in, a, in that kind of sense, I think many times we find ourselves lost in our leadership too. And one of the things that's unique about leadership that we need to remember as we continue to look to God's word as our compass, is that God's word clearly lays out that each and every one of us in this room is a leader. If God has given you influence in your family, which he has as a husband or as a wife, as spouses or as sons or daughters, as peers, as the oldest sibling, the youngest sibling, God has given you leadership and given you influence in your family. In your office space, whether you're the CEO or a manager or a co-worker, a subordinate, God's given you Leadership and influence in your company, in your workplace, in the church. God has given you leadership. He's given you influence. Remember, Paul talks about us as being the body of Christ, each of us being gifted uniquely as the Holy Spirit willed. In other words, we aren't leading or going in the direction as powerfully or as effectively as we can as a church without your leadership. Each of you is needed to accomplish the purpose that God has set out for us as Woodlands Church. You are a leader. And in so many other areas than that, maybe it's a team that you play on. If you're uh, still competing in a men's league or a women's league or a running team or uh, in a youth sport, if you're amongst the teenagers in here, whatever it is, you have leadership where you are. And many times we find ourselves lost in our leadership. I know I have gotten lost in my leadership on occasion where you begin, somehow you set out with a team whether it's a fam- your family as a unit or a co- uh, co-workers working. You've got a team, you're a manager, you've got a team, you're working on a project trying to accomplish something, and you set out initially for a common goal of, man, we're going to pull together. We're going on this family vacation. This is what we want to do. We're going to go have a day at the park. This is what we hope we'll accomplish. We're going to be more bonded, more connected. We're going to accomplish this goal as a team. We're going to complete this project. It's going to be profitable, and we're going to do these things. And you set out on a goal to accomplish it a certain way. And at some point, for some reason or another, you find yourself lost in your leadership where your team has fallen apart. There's discord in your family. There's, There's infighting amongst each other. There's a lack of trust. You've gotten off purpose and you're fighting against each other now and you find yourself off the purpose that you were created for. And remember, God has created you for a purpose individually. I love that passage in Ephesians where it reminds us that before God laid the foundations of the earth, he set out good works for you to walk in. He's got a path, he's got a trail for you. And every once in a while in our leadership, we find ourselves off the trail and where our team has fallen apart, our purpose is no longer in sight. And so I'm excited to have the opportunity to look at God's word with you today and allow it to serve as our leadership trail guide to point us back to what really matters. You know, I I find myself oftentimes falling off my leadership trail, getting distracted and finding myself lost in my leadership when somehow competition gets involved. Some, so there's something about competition that s- for some reason, many times, derails me from what's important. And I liked it. sometimes we might think that that's just a guy thing, it's not. I learned that as soon as I started dating my wife, that competition could be a struggle for both of us. And if we find ourselves in, as opponents or competing in Monopoly, or in any other kind of sport, bowling or laser tag, it can put conflict in our marriage if we're not careful when the competition, when winning becomes the goal of what we're trying to do. Because when you try to win, whether it's an argument or whatever, and you're trying to win against your competitor, then it, on some level, makes them your opponent, which means there's gonna be a winner and there's gonna be a loser. And for those of you who are out there and you're in marriage, you know that when you have an argument and one someone wins and someone loses, we both lose because instead of it accomplishing its purpose of unity, we find ourselves feeling separated. Someone's defeated, and someone is paying the price of living with a defeated spouse. It's difficult, it's tough. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what you created those things for, but competition can do that. I know for me, the other day, I met some friends and family at the park, and we were gonna play. We were gonna go and have a great time, and we were gonna play something. I don't play very often, but we were gonna play at a local park here in the Woodlands called Terramont Park, and we were gonna play some disc golf. Now, you may not be very familiar with the sport disc golf. I'm not super familiar with it. I've only played it a few times, but it's played very much like real golf. You have tee boxes and you have fairways and you're throwing these frisbees towards a metal cage that has to catch your frisbee and it has a par, so it'd be par three or whatever. And if you get there in two and make your disc in the chain cage, then you get a birdie or whatever. And so we were gonna go and one of the things that I knew about the people I was playing with is that I was the most experienced player on the course that day. And so naturally, as I went to have some fun, there also was, underneath the scene, I need to win. Because if they know that I've played the most, then I should be better than them. And so I stepped up to the first tee box, got my fairway driver out, went to throw that disc, and my inexperience showed up as it just just drifted off into the woods, far from anything of direction that it was supposed to be going. So then it was a couple other people through, and then there was one guy there with us that day he was, hadn't really played before. He was inexperienced and he showed up and he didn't even have any of his own equipment. So he asked if he could use mine. <laughs> sure, yeah, here. Let me just open my bag and you use this to beat me. That sounds fun, sounds great. So I opened up my bag, gave him a disc, He lined up on the tee box, and the tee box has this clear wood panel at the front of it that's like, don't cross that, you have to throw it before you leave the tee box, pretty simple. We had gone over the rules before we started. He takes off running, runs 20 feet past the tee box, and then finally throws it. I was like, no, sir. You get back here, and you throw it from where the rest of us threw it. All of a sudden, I had lost my leadership as to what we were there to do, and all I was focused on was the rules. It was not a good moment until my wife stepped in. She said, you need to calm down. First of all, he's your son. (laughs) Second of all, he's six, okay? Chill out, all right? Maybe it wasn't quite that bad, but you understand what that's like of where we're out on a family occasion. I was there with my sons, my wife, a couple of students from the student ministry, just there to have a good time. But somehow that competitive instinct began to come out of me, that fleshly desire to win, to be able to show my boys how great dad is at this. So once I was humbled by my first throw, then all of a sudden I had to humble everybody else with me. And there was conflict and all of a sudden nobody was really having that much fun. And I had to get my heart right in order to make that experience accomplish what it was. Have you ever found yourself in that place where you lost your leadership, where you as a parent started set out with such high lofty expectations about what was going to happen with you and your kids and your family, or as a coworker in management, you set out with a team to do something so great, and somewhere you picked up your head along the way and you say, this is not at all where I intended for us to go. I'm off the trail, I'm I'm lost, I don't know my way back. What do I do, how do I get back? Well, what I can tell you is is that God's word offers us some great counsel, so would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And I wanna look at a charge that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. And it's such an interesting thing because for the first three chapters, what he's been saying to them is he's been reminding them of hey, don't forget church, you once were dead dead in your trespasses. We all were guilty of sin and therefore the wages of our sin was death. We found ourselves far from God because of our actions, but we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Because of his leadership, when he came and laid down his life for us on the cross, we have moved from death to life for all who believe in him. You've been made alive, and on that confidence, on that speaking that truth in their lives, he began to speak this leadership lesson in their lives, beginning in chapter four, verses one, it says this. Paul said, read along with me in your Bible, your scriptures are on the screens, I'll read out loud, it says this. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I love this word, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Would you pray with me? God, we love you and we know that we've been led to love with you because of your leadership. God, I pray that you would help your word to offer as a compass for us for us leaders who are trying to use the influence that you've given us to guide people, to guide us as a church into your purpose, that you would help us to find wisdom, to find direction from your word today, to guide us back to the purpose that you're calling us to. So I pray that our hearts would be open and we'd be ready to receive what your spirit wants to speak to us through your word and through the words that you speak through me today. We thank you, and we pray, amen. You can be seated. Let me take just a moment to welcome you who are worshiping with us in Atascocita and at our campus in North Point. Man, we are so glad to be worshiping with you. And all of you who are worshiping with us online, it is such a privilege to be able to study God's word with you. Man, I love this passage. And like I said, I love that word that Paul uses when he says, I implore you. Now, if you've In your leadership positions, I would bet that there have been times with the people that you're influencing when there is something important that you want your kids or you want your coworkers to remember or you want the people you're managing to remember that you will find some way to emphasize it. Whether it's repeating it or stopping to speak slowly like I'm speaking now, There are all different types of way of emphasizing. Maybe you raise your tone of voice. Maybe you lower your tone of voice. But when something is important, we find a way to say, this is important. Well, this is Paul speaking to the church saying, this is important. I implore you. I challenge you. I plead with you. Do not miss this. Because you once were dead, far from God, lost in your sin, you have been found. You have been made alive in Christ. And so now I implore you to follow his leadership with great leadership of your own. And what does that look like? I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now any good leader is gonna take a moment just to take that verse and to put it into practice in their own life and be able to ask ourselves that same question. Am I walking in a manner worthy of which I've been called? Am I walking in the same manner as to which my leader showed me how to lead? Am I laying down my life for others in the same way that Christ laid down his life for me? As a son or as a daughter, am I laying down my life for my parents? Am I laying down my life for my manager? Am I laying down my life for my employees? Whoever it is, wherever the Lord has given me influence, Am I walking in a manner worthy of my calling to come pick up my cross and follow Jesus, living out my life according to the great commandment to love the Lord God, my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others in the way that he loved me? And when we do lead well, what does it lead us to? Well, at the end of that passage, it's so clear that when we lead in a manner worthy of that which we've been called, the result will always be the same, unity in the spirit. You see, when we lead in a manner worthy of our calling in our family or in our office space or in our church, the result is always the same, it brings unity. When the Lord is involved and we lead in his, we follow him in leadership, it takes us who once were far apart and it brings us together just like Christ, sacrificed on the cross, took a people who were distant and far from God and brought us into one family, one body, serving one Lord under one baptism. He brought us to complete and perfect unity through his leadership. And when we lead with that example, the result will always be unity. Well, what are the guiding factors that show whether or not we are living that life out? Well, it's right there in the verses when it says, when you lead that way, it's gonna be with what? With all humility and gentleness. With patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. It's gonna come from the same love that he showed us, from a place of humility and gentleness, patience, Being tolerant with one another in love. And when we do that, the result will be unity. Now I've been privileged to get to work with some of the most incredible mentors anyone could ever hope to be under. People who have guided me and led me with some principles that I've been able to glean from and watch the leadership the Lord has put in my life of people who are following him that have challenged me. And I've been able to pick up four different steps of what I have seen are important to preserving unity on any team. Four things from people like my dad, who has led me so well. People like Pastor Kerry and our executive pastor, Pastor Randy Reeves. Guys who I've been able to look to, who have led me in such a powerful way that I've been able to glean from their leadership and the way that they've led my life, and there have been four things that I've tried to put into my leadership that I have found being essential, that when my team, whether it's my family team, or the team that I manage here at the church, or the students that I'm leading in a Bible study or whatever, when when we find ourselves off the trail, away from God's purpose with infighting or frustration. I've seen the mentors and leaders in my life be able to put into practice four different steps of bringing us back to purpose and helping us fight for the unity which God created us for. The first thing that I've seen that's important of any great leader when we find ourselves off the trail is to be able to admit to the team and admit to themselves and admit to God, I don't know everything. I don't know everything, and it sounds simple, but it's oftentimes difficult especially when it comes to an area of your expertise. Now listen, if we were in a conversation, an argument over something like hockey, I don't know anything about hockey, okay? I live in Houston, there's very little hockey happening around here. So I don't know a lot about hockey, I've never been passionate about hockey, and so if we were having a conversation about hockey, I might be able to yield to your expertise, even if you're not an expert, and be like, yeah, you probably know, because I definitely don't know. But one of the places when it's difficult to admit that you don't know is when you are the leader. It's a place of influence, and some place that you consider yourself to have a place of expertise. For me, that might be in teaching the Bible or in studying God's word or whatever. That is something I've been doing for a long time. And so I might begin to allow myself to be like, oh, well, I've got something to offer to everyone. And man, everyone just needs to listen to what Mark Miller has to say. That's not true. What really is gonna help me to be a great leader is when I realize that not only is it the fact that the Lord wants to speak through me to you, but the Lord wants to speak through you to me. And that if you have the Holy Spirit alive and active in your life, then you have the same mind of Christ living in you that I have living in me and that we need to learn from each other and therefore I don't know everything about God, his character or his word and that when we journey together and appreciate the things that God has shown each of us and invite that into a situation, our experiences and the things that we've been through, we will be that much more powerful and that much more capable of getting back on purpose. Sometimes it's difficult in things that I've maybe uh, consider myself to be an expert in uh, or that I do very well in things like soccer, a sport or in being a parent when the truth is, is that I can always learn from people who are have more experience or who have less experience from me. That I need to have my heart open to remembering that I don't know everything. I think one of the great examples in Scripture is this: is the example of King Solomon. When King David, one of the greatest kings of all time, right, was passing the torch onto him and he was stepping into leadership as king of Israel, his response, his humility, and the way that he spoke to the Lord in Second Chronicles, he says this. It says, Solomon said to God, you have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can rule? this great people of yours. I love the humility that Solomon demonstrates, right? Because it'd be so easy to have the mindset as when he was serving under his dad, when he was just the prince of Israel, to be looking at his dad's leadership and be like, you know what, if he would just do these 12 different things different, that would help this, that would help feed more people, that would help us be more prosperous. If he, you know, when the day when I become king, I'm going to implement those 12 things right away. If he would just get out of the way, you know what, his time has come, he doesn't understand how to do this anymore. If my dad David would just get out of the way, and now, let me tell everyone, okay, now I know the solution for the kingdom, just do these 12 things, and it's going to help us to get where we need to go. It'd have been easy to have that kind of backseat driver mentality. Oh, if you just do this, if you just turn here, oh, just do it this way, do it th- like this. And it's easy for us when we have a team and we have our leadership to begin to believe that if everyone just did things the way that we think that they should do them or how, what we, how the way that we've learned to do it, that it'll guide us back on the path. But Solomon had a different perspective. The first perspective he had was, I have no idea how to run these people because they're not my people, they're your people. Have you ever had a moment as a parent when you looked at your kids and you're like, what did I do to deserve the opportunity to be a parent. (laughs) Like I've got some beautiful, talented, funny, energized kids. I don't know what I'm doing. God, I need you to help me get them to the purpose that you've created them for. I need your wisdom. If we're good parents, that's exactly the mentality we have. Instead of saying, oh, I know what to do, I just need to follow steps A, B, and C, follow this book, do this, do that, do this, and your kids will turn out this way. Nope, it doesn't work that way. We need God's wisdom. Because we can do all the principles and practices that we've learned and all the leadership lessons, but at the end of the day, it's the Lord who changes people's hearts. And if we want them to follow us, if we want to have a healthy team, then not only do we need to be seeking God's wisdom, but we want to encourage our team members to be seeking God's wisdom. I love when he says, for who can rule this people of yours? Who am I? Who are any of us to believe that we can do the job that only you can do? Who is it that really we need to be praying is raising our kids? The Lord. Who is it that we really need to be running our teams? The Lord. And so we, the first wisdom that we have is when we get on our knees as leaders and we seek God's wisdom. We say, I don't know how to run this company. I don't know how to run this family. I don't know how to lead this way. I don't know how to use the influence that you've given me as a son or as a daughter, as a subordinate, in a way that honors you, in a way that helps us get back onto the purpose that you've created us for. So God, I need your wisdom, first and foremost. And sometimes we realize, oh, I do need God's wisdom. And we look to God's wisdom, God's word for wisdom, which is the right place to go. But it is also important to remember that oftentimes, the place and the way that God chooses to bring his wisdom Is not only through his word, but it's through other people. And so if we have this mindset, is that the only person who knows better than me is God, then when God tries to speak to you through someone else, we'll say, shh, 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 I'm trying to hear from God. And we'll miss out on God's wisdom that he's chosen to use a different part of the body to speak into your life. I don't know everything is something I've seen from the leaders who lead me as they've looked to me in a moment of something I didn't know much about. And they say, Mark, what do you think about this? And wow, does that help me step up and begin to see like, whoa, I need to be thinking. I need to be having a thought here. I need to be, when we're in situations, I don't just need to be looking to dad's leadership or looking to my boss's leadership. I need to be praying and seeking the wisdom of the Lord and being prepared for a response if the Lord has put something in my heart to be ready to bring it. And I think it's an important thing for us as our parents as, as sometimes to turn to our kids and say, what do you think we should do here? Not that we have to take what they say, but to continue to challenge them, to raise them up, of saying, hey, if we're gonna be to go as a family where God's calling us to do, we all need to be seeking God's wisdom together. The second thing that I've learned from the great leaders who God's put over me and from his leadership in scripture is not only can I, is it that I don't know everything, but also that I can't do everything. Which is an interesting thing, right, as to why we even think that we should. And in reality, we know that, that we can't do everything, but there are in some cases where we just, we feel like compelled to, If I have to do this. Because if I don't do it, the person who I'm gonna let do it can't do it as good as I do it. They will end up ruining it. Have you ever done this when it just comes to your kid's school project, right? When you're, they're supposed to do it and they're trying to work for a grade, but you're like, oh no, I can't let them show up to school with that project. What are all the other moms gonna say and the dad's gonna say and the teacher's gonna say? Okay, just get out of the way. Let me do this for you. Or maybe it's something as silly as doing a Lego project with your kids. <laughs> you ever done that? Or you're like holding the book and they're trying to walk through it and they don't know what the piece is and so you go in there and you try to help them at first and just try to tell them and all of a sudden they grab the Lego thing trying to press it in and the whole thing breaks in half and you're like, nah, just give it to me. It's gonna take us way too much time and it's gonna be too hard if I don't just do this myself. And it's like, it's Legos, how did we get here? And now they're the one holding the book. Before you know it, they're playing in the other room and you're just still, okay, A to B, C, D, thing. Wow, it's the X-Wing fighter. Where are they? It's funny how we do that. And then what happens is that eventually, right, if you've been anything like me, you yell in the other room, where are you? I don't wanna do this for my own benefit. They're like, well, I didn't think you wanted me there anymore. You hadn't talked to me in 10 minutes. You were so focused on your project. They lost their value because what? Because sometimes in real situations, we begin to think, man, if if I don't do it, who will? And we begin to take over. They'll ruin it if they do it this way. If they don't do it my way exactly how I do it, they'll ruin it. But we can't do everything and if we do try to do everything and we don't let the people that God has put in our lives and he's given us influence in life to help us and implore them to be a part of it and to think that way, then eventually we'll become bitter and we'll say, why am I the only one doing this? Because you're the only one who continues to take control and won't let anyone else do it. I love, I think Moses found himself in this position when God called him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he went in, and he spoke to Pharaoh, and he challenged him, and sure enough, God used him in a powerful way to free the nation of Israel and begin to lead them to the Promised Land. But initially, he had a flat leadership structure. It was just him and then all the people. And so any time there was any kind of conflict or issue between the people, they all, thousands upon thousands, were coming to Moses with their issues. Well, he wasn't able to get to all their issues, and when he did, he wasn't able to give enough time to them to really think through them and do them in a good way. He was exhausted himself, people were frustrated, they were starting to wonder what they were doing out there in the wilderness in the first place. Many of them started to turn back and say, why don't we just go back to slavery because we had it better there, we don't know what to do, I can't get along with my neighbor, what are we supposed to do, Moses is too busy. And then Moses' father-in-law shows up in Exodus 18, and he gives them some great wisdom, some great leadership wisdom. He says this to them in Exodus 18, he says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself, and I love this part, and these people who are with you. It's not good for anyone. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. I'll never forget the time that Pastor Carey, when I first came to the church, I don't know if you know this now, I was first hired on as the junior high pastor. I was coaching soccer, that's what I did for a living. I was connected with the head youth pastor at the time. I was coaching his team, and so they called me in, offered me the position to be a junior high pastor. That was overwhelming to me, the opportunity and the privilege it was to get to serve as your junior high pastor. And then a year and a half into the job, I was 25 years old, Pastor Carey called me up into his office. I met with him and Randy Reeves, our executive pastor. They sat me down. They said, Mark, we want you to lead the entire student ministry. (laughs) Immediately, I asked, well, where's... My mentor going, one of my great friends and people who had led me, I didn't know what to do. I then threw out four different names of people who I felt like were more qualified than me than do the job. They laughed and chuckled, were patient with me, smiled and they said, we get that, and those are great guys. But we feel like the Lord has picked you. I begin to tell them all the reasons, like i, I do not sure I can do that, I, I'm not experienced, I've only been doing this for a year and a half. And they said, I, we know that, but we've prayed about it and we feel like the Lord is choosing you. So we want you to step in and we're gonna do it. And I said, I'm probably gonna make mistakes. You know what Pastor Kerry said? He said, you probably will. And we did. We tried to put a pool in the junior high building, (laughs) just held it together with four screws and a tarp, turned the hose on and just left. It busted, filled the entire building over there with two inches of water. I was at a football game when (laughs) one of the other pastors called me, the now junior high pastor and said, dude, what do we do? There's water everywhere. I said, turn it off and try to clean it up before I get there. I left the football game, I got there, there's hundreds of gallons of water standing in the building and they have paper towels on their hands and knees trying to dab it up. (laughs) I was devastated, I was like, what are we gonna do? I'm trying to think through every problem solving thing I can do to handle it and deal with it before I have to report it to my bosses, right? Clean it up and then tell them. I knew it was way beyond that, I had to make the phone call. So I called Pastor Randy, I called Pastor Kerry and I had to tell them, I said, hey, we were trying to do this illustration on stage. It was going to be about taking a faith step and trusting God and falling into the water. And, you know, it was about tying it to a gospel presentation. We made a pool and we have flooded the building. Who do we call? <laughs> Stop! <laughs> Who do we call and what do we do? I was ready to lose my job that day. You want to know what Pastor Carey said to me? He said, Mark, you keep trying to reach kids for Jesus and I'll deal with problems like this all day long. You wanna talk about someone being motivated and on fire to reach people for Jesus? You wanna know something? I do believe we have one of the best student ministries in the nation. I'll say that without a doubt. But unashamedly, I'll tell you that the success of that is not based upon Mark Miller or our team, it's because we have great leadership in following Jesus Christ and people like Pastor Kerry and Pastor Randy who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. They pushed me out there. And man, has that taught me how to be a great parent Has that taught me how to be a great manager of pushing people out there and saying, I know you don't feel like you're ready and you probably are gonna make mistakes, but I'm not doing less on my own because if I try to, then we're not gonna accomplish the things that God has really called us to do. Because I and myself can only do a little, but we together can accomplish a lot. So don't put this just on me, let's do this together. I've learned what great leadership looks like just from people around us. You know there's a lie out there that says, those who can't do, teach. That's such a lie. Teachers are amazing people. You know what I think is closer to the truth? is That those who won't teach, do. And because of that, they're less effective because they are limited by only what they can do themselves instead of training themselves up. And because really what I believe great leaders do is they end up making themselves obsolete. Which is a scary thing, right? Because you're like, man, if I train this person up and they become so good at what they're doing, if I train my kids up that they're proficient enough to do their homework and their projects and their things on their own, then they won't need mom and dad and on some level, I like being needed. So it's difficult to let them go. And so when they do start to step out there and they start doing a good job, sometimes as leaders we lose our leadership when we start picking apart their mistakes, hoping that they will turn to us and say, oh, mom and dad, help us, rescue us. Oh, boss, help us, no one can do it like you do it, instead of raising them up and saying, yep, you didn't do that right, so let's do it again. I'll do it with you, but we're gonna continue to do this and you're gonna learn to do it on your own because we can do more together than we can do apart. I can't do everything and God hasn't called me to do everything. But then there's a third point that I think is difficult too, sometimes to embrace, and it's this. Not only can I, I don't know everything and I can't do everything, but remembering that help can come from anywhere. Help can come from anywhere. It is so crazy on how, who God will use to bring the thing that you need to get your team back on the path. It could be the youngest in your family. Remember, throughout scripture, God constantly chose the person from the weakest clan, the youngest of the family. Remember, King David himself, Solomon's inspiration, was the youngest in his family so that when Eli went to anoint the next, excuse me, when Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel, and he went to Jesse's house, even his own dad didn't think it would be David whom the Lord had chosen. So you never know who it's gonna be. Throughout scripture, we saw God even use the enemies of his people to bring the help that they needed at the right time. Help can come from anywhere, and we have to have our heart open to be prepared of recognizing that God works in mysterious ways, why? Why does God choose the weak or the inexperienced? to typically be able to bring that word is so that instead of us taking credit for getting ourselves back on the trail, we're able to give God all the glory. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. Paul was reminding them about the power of the cross when he said, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. He says, do you remember what it is that brought us from death to life? It was the cross. The way of execution that was reserved to embarrass people, to hang someone up on a tree in a city naked for everyone to see is to be like, don't do what they're doing. Don't follow their example or you'll end up just like them. Let's be clear that this is a shameful way to die. And it was through that that Jesus, that God chose to bring salvation to all of us. God chooses the shameful things of this world, He chooses the shameful things of this world to shame the wise, and the, the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And he chooses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. In other words, we need to keep our hearts, hearts open, remembering that God's help can come from anywhere. That we need to bring speak value into every single team member. Sometimes we begin to put structure in our family. We begin to believe like, oh, this person is only capable of that and this person is only capable of that instead of continuing to place value on every team member and to speak that truth into them knowing that God can use anyone. I learned this quickly when I was hired on here as the junior high pastor. And I got to work with sixth and seventh and eighth grade boys leading their Bible studies. And I remember when I first came here, I was young and I was naive and I thought I did know it all. And so when I led those boys Bible studies, I was like, whoo, am I gonna teach them a thing or two? I'm gonna pour my wisdom into them and turn them from boys to men, using the vast experience I have now as a 23 year old. And it didn't take long and following the example of the leadership around me to begin to realize that, that when I had that mentality, I missed out on some of the incredible things that God wanted to do and speak through sixth and seventh and eighth grade boys into my life. And I'm telling you, when you open up your heart and realize that any believer, remember any believer who's received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has the full working power of the Holy Spirit within them. Which means that the mind of Christ is in your kids. And if we will pull that out of them and challenge them to speak with authority and to speak the truth that God's putting in them and to follow Christ in humility and obedience then they'll follow you with humility and obedience. And they'll have the courage to speak out what's on their mind and because of that learning, it has challenged me now to start every Bible study that I have with students no matter what their age or grade with the same sentence every time. When we start a Bible study, we say this to them. We say, hey, listen. First of all, before we start Bible study, just know this. As we begin to go through God's word, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then know that the same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me. And so if throughout the course of this Bible study, if you have a thought or a question or something that comes to your mind and you refuse to share that with the group, then know this, you may be robbing the group of what the Lord wants to speak through you. Do your kids know that if they don't speak up what the Lord puts on their heart, that they might be robbing your family of what the Lord wants to speak through them? Speaking that leadership into your team members and any believer, reminding them of no matter what their level is in the chain, that if they have the Holy Spirit of them, they have the power of the resurrection living in them with the ability to help us to get from where we are, lost in the woods, back onto God's purpose for our team. Help can come from anywhere. And then lastly, the thing that I believe that kind of holds all this together is that obedience and humility are the keys. Obedience and humility are the keys that get this whole thing started and keep this whole thing together. And that example comes straight from the character of Christ. Listen to what Paul reminded the church in Philippi, in Philippians, he said this. This is the attitude you should have. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God The maker of the universe, the maker of men, humbled himself because we were separated from God and demonstrated what leadership was about when he left his throne in heaven and humbled himself to coming and being a man. But not just any man. He humbled himself to being born in a manger, making himself the lowliest of men, a bondservant to God, taking the form of a servant He walked with man and then allowed the very men whom he created to kill him, and not just to kill him, but to kill him by crucifixion. That's what servant leadership looks like. The ability to say, Father, alas, not my will, but your will be done. I humble myself, and even though I am God, I didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. I am choosing for the principle of helping accomplish the purpose in which you sent me, which is to bring unity, to humble myself even unto death. That's how we lead our families. That's how we lead at our workplaces. That's how we lead in our church, is continuing to offer our very lives for one another, encouraging are letting our managers to know that we're ready to lay down our lives for them as we're sons and daughters letting our parents know, beginning to understand that leadership is in us as well to make sure mom and dad know that we're ready to follow them in humility and obedience. Because if God is gonna bless the purpose of the team, it takes all of us walking in humility and obedience. And if you are the leader of the team, the greatest thing you can do to get your, those who are following you to follow you and to be inspired to follow you is make sure they know that you know you're under authority as well that you're under God's authority. You are, no matter how high you are in whatever role you're in, that your team knows that you submit yourself to authority as well. And you're following God to the best of your ability and you wanna listen to them, but you will not compromise what God is calling you to do because you're under authority too. That's what we do as leaders. We inspire them, we inspire each other to follow each other in humility and obedience. Let me finish with this story. You know, I told you, at the beginning of this message that one of the things that derails my leadership so often is competition. And really that defined me all the way through my 20s was my desire to want to play sports. And I thought that a lot of the value that people saw in me as the youth pastor here or in their life was because Mark was really athletic. And he could do this, he could play that, he was good at volleyball, he was fun, he was this, he was that. And so that's where I placed my value. So therefore, doing well in sports was very important to me. So when I played youth sports or when I played just for fun in my 20s, playing men's leagues or whatever, being successful was a big deal. In fact, I even remember when I would play youth sports and I was a soccer player and many times uh, in the team huddle, right, before the game, as a team, you're saying, hey guys, don't forget, we gotta watch out for number 17 on the other team. Man, that guy's a good goal scorer. In fact, he's already scored six goals in this tournament. We gotta watch out for that guy. I remember being in those team huddles and just thinking to myself, man, I hope that the other team right now in their huddles being like, man, we got to watch out for that Mark Miller. Whoo, that guy, he's so good. He's got such a great lift, left foot and he can just shoot shots of beauty. Watch out for him. And so then when I went out and played, I played with that mentality. So when my teammates made a mistake or didn't pass me the ball or I embarrassed myself, I tripped over the ball, I didn't do something well, Well then I had to defend myself with anger and frustration and letting out all different types of emotion that didn't honor God. I would take it out on the referee and argue with him and and get in combat, combative situations with him. If the other team tackled me or did something I felt like wasn't fair, I was constantly arguing with them. And nothing that I was doing was reflecting the calling with which I had been called. And that really defined me and so much have I done. Even when I was playing with other Christian guys, we would find ourselves arguing with more with the referees and the other team than most of the other teams in the league then I turned 30. Oh, that's so humbling to say that it took me 30 years to get to what I'm about to tell you. But at some point when I was 30, we were playing in an indoor soccer league here locally in the Woodlands. And we played hard and we were, we were playing so aggressively and wanted to win and prove that we all still could play like our glory days and be great. That typically we were so frustrated throughout the course of the game with the referee and the other team and our own teammates that after the game, a group of pastors and other Christian leaders from this church, we would just... The game would, final whistle would blow, we'd grab our stuff, we'd go to our car, and we would just leave. What is that? And then we would show up at work the next day at church and be like, okay, hey, let's do ministry. No, that, that was when we were supposed to do it, right? And we were blowing it. Finally, the Lord convicted me, and I got the, we had a team meeting, and I said, guys, what are we doing? This is not right. This is not fulfilling. Initially, we started this league because we wanted to spend some time together, have fun, be able to invite some guys from the church that we wanted to play with and connect with. What are we doing? After the game, we don't even talk to each other until the next game. I said, you know what, we we need to be better. We can't just talk about community on Sundays and not carry it out in our day-to-day lives. We need to focus on doing things differently. So we made a commitment as a team from that point forward that every game that we played, we were going to choose to not care about what the other team did. We were not gonna say a single word to the referee. We were only gonna do do our best to support our teammates. And if a teammate made a mistake, we were gonna work twice as hard to pick up that teammate. If they got scored on or they did something silly, we were gonna laugh it off, encourage them, and encourage everyone else to say, hey, let's hustle back and let's work even harder for that team. And you know what, what? we played even harder than we had played before. And we didn't play for ourselves, we were playing for a, a common goal of making sure that it's a team that we enjoyed spending time with each other. You know what, it worked. After the first couple games, the joy of playing that way, whether we won or lost, and actually sticking around to hang out and laugh and talk with each other for 20 minutes before we left. But then something crazy started to happen. Eventually, as we continued to play with that mentality and play, we started to have a little bit of success, but we also started to have some success in in another area. The other teams wanted to stay around afterwards and hang out and talk with us. And we started to go out with some of them who are prominent, have prominent roles in our community. And we would go get a bite to eat with them and talk with them about church and invite them to services. And a lot of them got plugged in and started coming to church. But then it went to a whole new level I never expected through taking on this mindset and laughing and truly enjoying ourselves and finding our way through our, towards our common purpose and our team being bonded and, and seeing other people leaving their teams and saying, hey, do you have a spot on our team for you next year? It was crazy, it was so much fun, but that's not even the best part. At some point, we, were in the, we had just finished a game, as a matter of fact, it was the championship game, and I believe we lost three to two. And we were laughing, we were high-fiving the other team after the game, and the referee came and met me at midfield. And I was like, uh-oh, what do we do? What'd someone say? And he met me, and as I turned and caught him eye to eye, he had tears in his eyes. And I was like, what's going on, man? And he said, I have never seen men play the way that you guys play. The way you support each other and laugh and work for each other, the way that you guys have honored me and have so much fun and make this fun for me, because that's not normal. Normally I dread coming here for men's league the way you've connected with the other players in the league, I've been watching you guys and there is something different about you. What is it? (laughs) It was simple at that point, right? Jesus, man. It's Jesus. He showed us what it is to lay down our lives for each other. Honestly, we hadn't been doing that. This is our first season to do this this way. We finally grew up, I think. And we decided just to start playing for each other thank you so much for being out here every week because you make it a lot of fun. His response, how do I get what you have? And all you need to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ and what you know it that that referee chose to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior right there on the soccer field. And is that applause worthy? Of course it is. But don't miss the humbling nature that it took me 30 years to get there. I don't know where you are, I don't know how old you are. There's so many of us represented in this room, but I know this, it is never too start to lead the way that God leads. It is never too late to begin to let God's leadership style become your leadership style, and to follow that example of choosing to lay down your life for every person of, of influence that God's put in your life. You are a leader, and God is calling you to greatness. He has good works that he's laid out before you that nobody else can walk in. Either you will walk in them or no one will walk in them. He's calling you and he's calling you to greatness. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he ascended to heaven. He said, you've seen me do great works, now go and do even greater works than you've seen me do. He called them to greatness. We have the opportunity to call our kids, to call the next generation, to call our coworkers, and to call those above us to greatness by leading them in the same way that Christ leads us, choosing to lay down our lives for one another. A healthy team finds boundaries to be freeing, not burdensome. A healthy team submits the vision instead of individual goals. A healthy team knows each member, including themselves, brings great value to the team. A healthy team considers each team member to be more important than themselves. And every healthy team has a great leader who models the attitude and the character of Christ, putting others before themselves so let's lead together as a church. Use your gifts here in the way that God's calling you to do. We need you. We aren't a healthy church if you don't step in and lead in this way, in the way that God has created you to lead. We're one body, and without you, we are not as capable of accomplishing the purpose that God has for Woodland's church. That's just the truth. We need you. Your family needs you. Your workspace needs you and the leadership that God has put in you So let's lead together, and let's accomplish the purpose of unity that God's put us on this earth for. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we know that we're able to love you because you led us into a relationship with you by choosing to lay down your life for us, giving us the example to follow. So help us, God, on every team that we represent as a church, in our community and here in the church, to lead in a way that brings glory and honor to you, that chooses to lift up others and allows you to be the one that lifts us up. God, help us to continue to humble ourselves, considering others to be more important than ourselves. God, help us to raise up our kids in a way that honors you, speaking value and truth into them and encouraging them to listen to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and lives. God, we love you. We need your leadership. Who are we to think that we can lead in the ways that you've given us without you? We need you, and we love you. We thank you so much, senior sons, and we pray, amen. Hey, you know what, there are so many opportunities for your youth in particular to get plugged in and to grow in their leadership. In fact, next weekend, we have our senior recognition, which is where the class of 2019 is gonna be recognized. We're giving them a Bible, why? Because they are truly the membership class I mean sorry the missionary class of 2019 for Woodland's Church you would be so honored to hear of all the things that the class of 2018 did when they went to their schools to their universities the way that they have been leading becoming their sorority chaplains and starting bible studies on their sports teams It's powerful and it's impressive and they're gonna be up here next week so don't miss senior recognition. If you're a senior or you're connected to a senior, it's real easy to sign up, wc.org slash events, just sign up for senior recognition and get plugged in to be here so that we can recognize you and continue to support and encourage and pray over the next generation as they go out to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ and Woodlands Church around the world. Hey, also, for you parents of second through 12th graders, it is summer camp season, it is here, and let me encourage you, Do not let your student miss out on summer camp. God continues to change lives in a crazy way through our summer camp program. We already have about 1,500 students signed up. God is using it in powerful ways, and remember this, about 60% of students who sign up for a summer camp, and it's their first time to go, end up giving their life to the Lord or following him in baptism. Why? Because we're doing something great? Well. I like to think that we're doing something right, but really, the truth of it is, that when you give, when a student gives five days of their undivided attention to the Lord, he'll get a hold of their heart and he'll change them from the inside out. Don't let your student miss. They need to be a part of two, three camp, four, five camp, our freedom week, which is for sixth and seventh graders, and our beach week, which is through eighth through twelfth, for eighth through 12th graders and already has about 900 students signed up for it. It's crazy what God is doing in the next generation, and it's because of you and because of your faithful giving. That senior class doesn't get there without you as a church supporting them and using your leadership and giving and using your leadership and serving and holding them when they were a baby and helping them get through elementary school and encourage them and being a part of that and greeting them and making their families feel welcome. We are one church accomplishing a crazy purpose for God. Man, do I love you. Let's choose to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. Let's pray. God, we love you and we do. We applaud the goodness that you have in our life, so we choose to give back to you not from obligation, but out of inspiration from what you're doing in our lives and what we see you doing in the generation behind us. We love you. The power of the cross is indeed still alive. It reminds us of your goodness and the leadership that you demonstrated for us. So help us to pick up our cross this week and follow you. We are your leaders. We love you, in your name I pray, amen. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.